Thank you, Bell Choir. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome to all that are here with us this morning at worship in the house and those that are listening on the radio. A few <clears throat> announcements this morning before we get started. First, I'd like to thank Becky Kohlers for joining us this morning as our guest organist. The white rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Emmett Logman. Emmett is the son of Zach and Paige Logman, grandson of Jerry and Cindy Lehman, and Mark and, Cindy, Mark and Sarah Logman. There will be a wonderful Wednesday meeting tomorrow at 7 p.m. in the Ministry Center. Whether you are a class leader, a helper, cooking food, or helping organize, please plan to attend. This is the last meeting before things kick off. There will be schedules and rosters passed out, also a chance to add last-minute needed items. Ask Wednesday is this Wednesday. Worship service with communion begins at 7.30. <clears throat> Ashes will be available for those who would like to receive them. And I would like to invite Pastor Joel up to talk about Lent. Thank you, Dave. Yes, uh, Two things about Lent. Uh, well, three, I should say. Uh, one is, uh, again, the Ash Wednesday service. I just want to highlight that for us. That is this Wednesday here in the sanctuary. Um, as Dave said, there will be ashes available. I, I want to give you a heads up about how we're planning on doing that for the service, because we're also serving communion that night as well. So near the beginning of the service, uh, there'll be an opportunity, if you want to, to come forward and receive ashes here at the altar. And then when we serve communion later in the service, we'll be serving communion in the pews. So um, I know some of you like to plan for that, uh, uh, how you want to um, approach that time. So I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Beginning Ash Wednesday, um, if you will turn in your bulletin near the, near the back cover, you see a reading plan for Lent. Uh, starting Ash Wednesday and then continuing on through each Sunday in Lent, um, I'm going to be preaching from the Gospel of Mark. And so to kind of to go along with that, I want to invite you as a church to read through the Gospel together. Um, so there's a reading plan there. The, the, it's set up to be uh, have a reading each weekday, Monday through Friday, um, so that starting Ash Wednesday and ending on Good Friday, we'll read the entire Gospel of Mark together. And then each one of our services from that time uh, will will draw from the reading from that week. Um, so as we begin uh, on Ash Wednesday, we'll look at the first part of Mark, and we'll be looking at uh, stories from the gospel throughout Lent, of course, culminating in uh, Good Friday and uh, with Jesus' crucifixion, and then, of course, Easter Sunday and his resurrection. So I invite you, even if you're not going to be here every Sunday in Lent, or you're going to, you know, uh, hopefully you will be, but even as we, as we travel through Lent together, I encourage you to uh, read along with us in the gospel of Mark. And then uh, last thing I do want to highlight is uh, wonderful Wednesdays will begin not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Uh, there's a planning meeting tomorrow night for everyone who's helping out and is involved. Um, but if you are not uh, participating directly, I encourage you to participate by, by joining us for dinner and, of course, to be praying for us as we minister and, and uh, have this after-school program for, for the kids as well as the free meal in the evening. So even if you can't be involved directly with Wonderful Wednesdays, I invite you to be praying for us as we, uh, as we have this ministry going on throughout the, Sundays and, or throughout the Wednesdays in Lent. Thank you. Um, there's also, I forgot to mention, uh, if you're interested, the reading plan, Connie created a, a bookmark here. Um, so there's, these are available. They're laminated in the, at the info center right back here. Um, so if you want to take one of these, stick it in your Bible as a way to remind yourself to, to read through Lent. Those are available as well. I would invite all those that are able to stand to join me in the call to worship. And then we will have the singing of hymn 105, He is Lord. We're going to sing all three verses 
and we'll sing the refrain twice. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Amen. You may be seated. This time I'd like to invite forward uh, Zach and Paige Logeman and their son Emmett James for baptism this morning. Good morning. Another week, another time to celebrate uh, the joy of baptism here this morning. As we talked about last week, baptism is a symbol. It's, a, it's pointing us to the reality of what God has done for us in Christ. That just as water washes away uh, dirt from our physical bodies, uh, the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin. That because of what God has done for us through Christ, through His death and His resurrection, we have 
the opportunity to join him as part of his family and have the, the gift of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so baptism is a, is a symbol, it's a pointer, it's a reminder of what God has done for us in Christ. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, gives us the invitation, uh, invitation you hear in these following verses. Jesus tells his disciples, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's in obedience to this command that the church baptizes believers and their children. On the day of Pentecost, Peter told the crowd that was gathered there, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Zach and Paige, having heard God's gracious promises to us in Christ, do you desire that Emmett be baptized this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Now, as we've talked about uh, before, we know that Emmett is, is too young to, to make any sort of profession of faith himself. And so as we gather here this morning, uh, as his parents, we invite you to respond to these following questions. It's this faith that, that is found in the two of you that you are committing this morning to pass on to Emmett as he grows, uh, grows physically, but also grows in the Lord. And so I invite you to respond to the following questions. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? Praise God. And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? Praise God. Now I invite all of us who are gathered here this morning to recite the Apostles' Creed together as a statement of our shared faith we are witnessing here this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day He rose again and is ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. We thank you for this family and for this child being baptized today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you've made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. I pray that you would bless and sustain this child. Draw him to yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. And may he grow to love you with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. And we also pray for his parents that you would equip them to fulfill the promise they make today, Bless and sustain them as they teach their child to know and love you. All this we pray in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This point, uh, I want to ask you, Zach and Paige, the following questions as you present Emmett to be baptized. This vow represents 
you know, the core of what we're doing here today. And it gets all the attention, of course, but it's about the commitment you're making as his parents to teach him about the Lord, to raise him in the faith, so that as he grows older and is able to make that decision for himself, he's, he's prepared and equipped to, to follow Jesus himself. And so do you promise to instruct Emmett by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for him and also teach him to pray? And do you promise to nurture him within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Praise God. And brothers and sisters in Christ that are gathered here today, we have a responsibility to them as well. Just as last week we committed to come alongside Mac and help uh, encourage and raise him in the Lord, uh, we want to do the same here with Emmett. We are a family. We are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have a responsibility towards each other and especially towards those who are who are joining, uh, joining us through baptism this morning. And so we want to encourage and, and, and pray for this family, for Zach and Paige, as well as for Emmett. Um, we want to encourage them through practical things, but as well as those more intangible things like words of encouragement and, and uh, words of reassurance as well. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we receive Emmett into Christ's church, I charge you to nurture and love him and assist them to be Christ's faithful disciples. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love and encourage and support you and to help you know and follow Christ. Amen. See how this goes? Hey, buddy. Emmett James Lagerman, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that is made available through his death and his resurrection. Thank you for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that you wash away our sins and give us new life as we put our trust in you. We pray for Emmett. Bless and strengthen him daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to him the riches of your love, deepen his faith, and keep him from the power of evil. Enable him to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May he grow to know, love, and serve you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look with kindness on Zach and Paige as well. Let them always rejoice in the gift that you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up Emmett to know you, love you, and serve you and his neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Congratulations. We have a gift for you and for, well, for Emmett and for you guys as a family. There's a Bible here as well as the white rose on the altar um, as well in the certificate of baptism here this morning. Congratulations. And um, as they find their way to their seats, I want to invite you to take a moment and stand and greet your neighbor as well as the children also come forward for children's chat. Hot, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Good morning. Where's your smiles at? We're celebrating the fact that we can worship God in God's house. 
So do you tell other people about Sunday school and church and about God and Jesus? Have you had a chance to do that? How many of you have done that? Have you told your little brothers or sisters about Jesus? Huh? Maybe you're shy this morning. Well, I brought something for you. I know you just love this. So you'll have to tell the people on the radio what it is. What is that? Broccoli. How many of you like broccoli? Oh, we do have some. With ranch. With ranch? Is that the best way? Kind of hides the flavor a little bit, doesn't it? Well, if you couldn't see, how would you describe this? It looks like a tree. Well, yeah, maybe a little bit. Oh, you mean if it's on the tree, it would be brown. Yes, yes. So how many trunks is there on a tree? The big, big trunk. One. Now let's think of that one as being a person who loves Jesus and has him in their lives, and then they tell other people about it. And as they grow, how many more branches do we get? Huh? Look at that. One, two, three, four. We're hiding some back here. And so if those people tell other people about Jesus and you tell them how much you love him and all what he is, he is love, then it goes into a bunch of other little, little, little branches, don't they? And then they go into all these little, look how many. People learned about Jesus from this one trunk. You didn't know you had that much power, did you? It's really neat. Look how many people you can share Jesus with and have that. And that kind of is your testimony. You know, I love Jesus. I accept Jesus. And I want you to love him too and get all the gifts from Jesus that I have. So then they get excited but if I take break these all off, is there anything supporting them anymore? No. no. So we have to support. We have to help our friends that are Christians. Because it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. So you guys are really good. Now, I'm going to take this home and eat it for lunch, so I'm not sharing it with you. Okay? And I'm sure anybody who doesn't like it doesn't really care, do you? All right. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be a trunk? And go out and make some trees from ourselves? Yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these children. And, and help our testimonies and how we live show others about the love of God through Jesus Christ, his son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Lost in our service in Maryland, Midshipman First Class David Forney, 22, from Walkersville, Maryland. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that, that you've called each one of us into a relationship with you. Lord, that you have made that possible, not because of our goodness, not because of what we have done to earn it, but out of your goodness and your love for us.
God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you've made salvation and forgiveness possible. By sending your Spirit, you have brought us into a relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you for that good news. Because, Lord, it is, it is that truth, it's that hope, it's that promise that we need each and every day. Lord, you are good and you love us so much. Uh, and we, we know that because of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Lord, and that is that gospel message, that gospel truth is is true for us, not just in our moment of salvation, not in the moment that we trust in you, but throughout our lives, and especially as we face difficult times. Lord, there's many of us here in this room that that listen on the radio. Lord, many of our family and friends that, that aren't necessarily here with us today, we know that there is a lot of hurt, there's a lot of heartache. Lord, that is, that is real in this world. We live in a broken world that has been impacted by the reality of sin. And that means that none of us are unaffected by that reality. And so, Lord, as we go through this life, as we go through our days, we, we experience difficulties. We carry burdens with us. But, Lord, you invite us to come before you and lay those burdens at your feet. Jesus, you invite us to come and, and find rest for our weary souls. And so we do that this morning. You invite us as we pray to, to, to unload those things, Lord, at the foot of the cross and, and take up your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. And so, Lord, we lay down our burdens at your feet, whether they are represented by, by names in our bulletin prayers and concerns list, whether, whether no one else knows them but us, Lord, we come to you and, and we lay them at the foot of your cross and ask that that your goodness and your love that has brought us into a relationship with you would now overflow and continue to transform and change us, especially in those situations. And we pray, Lord, that your will would ultimately be done. And we trust that your will is what is good and pleasing and perfect for us, even if we don't always know and understand that uh, the reasoning or the why behind it. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our families. We entrust our our work, uh, we entrust our communities, we entrust our nation, Lord, to you, trusting that your will is what is best for us. And we ask that your will would be done. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to stand and let's sing about God's goodness. I invite you to turn in your hymnals to number 41, God is so good.
Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a moment and let's pray and thank God for the ways that he's blessed us in our lives um, and how we, are now have the, we now have the opportunity to give back to him through this offering. Father, thank you so much uh, for your blessings in our lives, Lord. If we were to pause and, and try to count, Lord, how much and in what ways you've blessed us, Lord, um, it would be impossible to, to count. We'd run out of time in the service. We'd run out of time in this day. Uh, but Lord, you are good. You've been so good to us. And now through this offering, it's our, it's one way we have an opportunity to now give back to you. I pray that you would uh, bless this offering now to further the work of your kingdom in this church, in this community, in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from whom that town, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. As we open it together here this morning, I pray that you would... By your spirit, help us to understand what your word says and how we can apply it to our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us each a testimony and that you call us to to share that with others so that we may make an impact for your kingdom. And so help us, Lord, to see what that means for us this morning. And may we may your spirit guide us as we look at your word together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series, our our short little sermon series on what it means to be a steward, about seeking God first and in all areas of our lives. We specifically spent some time looking at what it means to seek God with our treasure, our time. Last week we looked at our talents, and this week we're going to look at how we can seek God first and, and really honor Him with our testimony. And we're going to look at a very familiar story. I had Maria just read the, the ending of it, but I want to take a look at, uh, the God, or at John chapter 4 in this very familiar story of the woman at the well. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to follow along with me. If you don't, um, there's pew Bibles around or follow along on, on the app on your phone. But I encourage you to have Scripture open in front of you uh, as we take a look at God's Word together. I'm not going to read through the whole story. It's over 40 verses long. They take quite a bit. But I want to kind of recap it for you and share some highlights with you as a way to set the the stage here for our conversation this morning. Jesus and his disciples were traveling uh, through Samaria. And that in and of itself is a very strange thing for them to do because uh, Samaria was a region that most good Jewish people would have stayed out of. Um, geographically speaking, it was actually kind of right in the middle of what we would think of as Israel. Samaria was actually, uh, the, the area that Samaria was in was actually the area that was part of the northern kingdom centuries previous to Jesus and his life and his ministry. The northern kingdom was conquered by a, a kingdom known as Assyria. And, and one of Assyria's tactics when they conquered a new kingdom was to take the people that lived there and spread them throughout the empire so that they would lose their sense of togetherness and identity. And they would take people from all over the rest of their empire and then relocate them to that newly conquered land as a way to kind of disrupt things. And so that way people would not be able to band together so much because they would found themselves surrounded by people from all over the place. And that was some eight centuries before uh, the birth of Jesus and this story we're hearing now. And so after eight centuries, there was this animosity that grew from, from uh, Judea and, and, and God's people in Jerusalem and Samaria. There was some racial, there was social, there was geographic separation between them. And so any good Jewish person, if they were traveling from the south where Jerusalem was, say up to Nazareth where Jesus was raised, they would not have taken the direct route. Imagine our sanctuary here. There was 
the pulpit, the stage area, we'll call this Jerusalem. And let's say I was trying to travel to Nazareth, which is maybe in the back there where, where Jack and Sarah are sitting. The most direct, quickest route would be for me to walk right down the center aisle to get there. It was quick, it was easy, relatively painless. But that's not what they would do. Instead, if I wanted to get there, I would go out this side door over here, go down those steps, walk around through the heritage room, through that back door, and come on through. That's basically what they would have done just to avoid interacting with these Samaritan people. Seems kind of crazy and absurd, doesn't it? But yeah, that's not what Jesus and his disciples do. Instead of doing what everyone else did, they walked straight through Samaria. They walked straight through and not only went through, but stopped and interacted with some of the people that were there. Jesus in particular with this woman at the well. And what I want to do today is, is have a conversation about, about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well and also this woman's conversation with the townspeople. It's kind of two parallel stories going on here, and, and they both tell us something about what it means to share our faith or share our testimony with other people. And so first I want to look at how Jesus interacted with this woman. First of all, uh, and, so, and so to continue to set the stage, right, they, they stop at this well in order to rest. And the disciples all go into town to buy food, but Jesus stays behind. It's the middle of the day, and after a little while, a woman approaches to draw water from the well. And it's there in that moment that Jesus has this conversation with her. He first asks her, asks her to draw water, and, and, and they, that initiates the conversation. He eventually begins to tell her about this living water that he has made available. And that leads to this more spiritual conversation about, about the, what that means. And instead of rather focusing on the content of their conversation, which would lead us in, in maybe a different direction here this morning, what I want to talk about is that the conversation itself, how Jesus reached out and spoke with her and shared his faith in that, and shared the truth of the gospel with her. First of all, he reached out across racial, social, geographic, and even gender barriers in order to share the good news and the hope that can be found ultimately in, in him as the Messiah and Savior. Again, remember I talked about the, the separation, this bad blood that was seen between, between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? And we see that demonstrated elsewhere. Jesus tells the parable when he was at, of, of the Good Samaritan, right? When he was asked about what it means to truly love our neighbor, he tells the story where the hero is not a religious leader from Jerusalem, but the hero of the story is a Samaritan who went out of his way to help a person in need. Who, who invested his time and his money and his resources in the person who needed the help. And so Jesus here is reaching out once again across these racial and social and geographic barriers, right? He's uh, a, a Jewish rabbi in the middle of the day talking to a Samaritan woman. It didn't get much different than that in their culture at the time. And yet Jesus was accepting of her. He included her in this conversation, which was practically unheard of which reminds us that, that our job as Christians is to be a light to the world, not just the people who are similar to us, not just the people that, that we interact with on a regular basis, like our family, people that are like us, like our family and friends, but to all people. If you really think about it, the gospel is the most inclusive uh, invitation in all the world because it doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, how much money you have, it doesn't matter the good or the bad or the otherwise that you've done in your life. The gospel invitation is for all people. 
Come and drink of this living water that God has made available to us through Christ. Experience eternal life and salvation through Jesus. Right? Jesus says uh, in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That seems pretty, seems pretty exclusive if you think about it. Right? Only through Jesus that we can be saved, which is true. It is exclusive because Jesus is our one and only Savior. But it's inclusive because that invitation is for all people. Right? No matter who you are or where you're from, you can experience that salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's a, a message that had gone back not just to the time of Jesus, but it was the call that God had placed on Israel from the very beginning. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, in other words, a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That's a pretty inclusive statement, isn't it? God, the good news of the gospel is for all people to, to hear and respond to. And Jesus demonstrated that by having a conversation with the woman at the well. And so it's inclusive. He's inviting her to, to know and experience this salvation, but he also doesn't shy away from the truth either. He doesn't shy away from the truth regarding sin, specifically her sin. He doesn't shy away from the truth about the proper way to worship God or even his own identity. See, truth matters, and we, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Let's look again back in John chapter 4. In verse, um, verse 17, he confronts, 17 and 18, he confronts the woman with the truth of her sin. She's been living, uh, he, he says, you were right when you said you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. All right, Jesus doesn't shy away from the reality of sin. He, he confronts it. And he confronts it in order to draw her away from her life of sin and into a relationship with himself. He also doesn't shy away from the truth of what it means to truly worship God. In verse 22, he says, You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, that salvation is from the Jews. That doesn't mean that you have to be a Jew in order to be saved, but it means that that. A Jew named Jesus, right, is our Savior and Lord, the Savior and Lord of the entire world. That we can, that the entire world can experience salvation through Jesus Christ. And finally, about his own identity as well. The woman in verse 25 says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking, the one speaking to you, I am He. Right? Jesus doesn't, doesn't beat around the bush there. He comes right out and says, I'm that Messiah that you're looking for. I'm that Savior that you've been waiting for. Jesus acknowledges the truth of the matter. You see, we, when it comes to sharing our testimony and sharing our faith, sometimes we, we shy away from the truth, especially when it comes to sin. But that's not what God desires of us. He wants us to speak the truth and love, the reality that, that all of us, are sinners in need of a Savior. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, verses 22 through 24. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Again, there's that inclusiveness. All who believe. There's no other qualifications besides faith in Jesus Christ. He says, There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace 
to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, that's the truth, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior that we need. And so Jesus has this conversation with the woman, but the story doesn't end there. After, after reaching out across those social and, and, and racial and geographic and gender barriers to this woman and shares the truth of, of not only her sin, but how she can be saved through, her, through Jesus Christ, the Savior and Messiah, the woman then goes and has a conversation with townspeople. And notice the change that takes place in her life. You may ask, why is this woman coming to the well alone in the middle of the day? Right? The reason why she did that is because she was ashamed of her sin and she was rejected by the others in the town. You see, it was normal custom to, to go in the cool of the morning to collect water from the well. In fact, usually all the women of a, of, of a town would go together and help each other collect water and then bring that water back to the town for their own you know, personal use. And so the fact that this woman is coming in the middle of the day all by herself shows that, that she had either been rejected by the, the rest of the women in the town, that she was not welcome to join in on that effort, or she herself was ashamed of, of her sin and, was, and had, had willingly separated herself from that group. But whatever the cause, whatever the reason for it, the truth of the matter was that she was alone because of her social status, because of the sin in her life. And she was coming to the well in that way. But notice here the change that takes place as soon as she has this conversation with Jesus after after he reveals himself as the Messiah in Christ. It says in verse 28, leaving her water jar. Notice the the, the immediacy of this, right? See, in that moment she realizes what's going on and she leaves her water jar. She doesn't have time to fill it up and take it back. She leaves her water jar and goes back to the town and said to the people, uh, Come and see. Come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman who was too ashamed to join the rest of the women in the town to collect water in the morning was now willingly running right back into the center of town to share the good news of what she had discovered. She shares the gospel with people that she was too ashamed to associate with before. What a change that means in her own life. You see, sin shames us. It separates us. It tries to keep us by ourselves. But the gospel frees us. In Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned and, and they realized what they had done, the first thing they realized is that they, it says they realized that they were naked and they hid themselves. They covered themselves up. And the next thing they did was that they hid themselves from the Lord. Their sin drove them to be ashamed of, of who they were and ashamed of, of being in the presence of the Lord. That sin had separated them from God. But it's the gospel that frees us to love God and love our neighbor as we were created to do in the first place. In Romans 8, verse 1, Paul tells us, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. You no longer have to, to fear the shame and, and experience the shame of sin. You have been forgiven and found new life in Christ. And we see that demonstrated in this woman who, who willingly ran back to the town to share that good news with the townspeople. 
So she was no longer ashamed. But notice she, she went to her own community. She shared the gospel with the people that God had placed around her, the people that knew her best. And that's not always easy to do, is it? It's one thing to be intentional about reaching out like Jesus did to someone you don't know or someone that, that is different from you. That takes one level of, of boldness and courage. But at the same time, it takes a different kind of courage to speak the truth, to share the gospel with the people who know you the best. It's not easy, right? These are the people that she avoided before. She was now willingly going and sharing the message with her, with them. Even Jesus himself was not very well received in his hometown. As he preached in Nazareth, some looked around and said, well, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that the carpenter's boy, right? They didn't expect, they didn't, they didn't see him for who he truly was because of their familiarity with, their fa- with his family. See, sometimes it's the most difficult to open up to the people who know us best. But that's what God calls us to do. Not just share the gospel with strangers, but to share the gospel, to demonstrate it for the very people that God has placed in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. And notice, too, she used her testimony to point people to Christ. It was an invitation to, to come and see. It wasn't about drawing attention to herself. She didn't break out into a sermon and a, and a big theological debate and argument. No, she just simply said, come and see. And she pointed people to Jesus. I've heard it said once that you may be the only Jesus that someone sees or the only Bible that someone reads. So the question I want to ask you today is, are you pointing people to Jesus or are you pointing people away from him? That's the, that's the bottom line of what it means to, to share your testimony, to, to share your faith. Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are, can you genuinely say, you know, come and see this Messiah, this Christ that I have met. He's told me everything I've ever done. He's saved me. He's forgiven me. Come and see so you may experience it for yourself. Notice here those, those closing verses that Maria read for us. What is, what is the difference that is made in these people's lives? They believe now because they experienced it for themselves. They had a conversation with Jesus. Not, and they didn't believe just based on what she said, what the Samaritan woman said. They believed because they met Jesus for themselves. The invitation was to come and see. See, testimony has, has the ability to highlight the power of the gospel to transform a life. As you think about how you can share your own testimony like this woman did with the townspeople, the question is, what is different about your life as a result of following Jesus? Right? We, divide, we divide our calendars, we divide our, our timeline, our history into two eras, don't we? Before Christ and after Christ, right? in the year of our Lord. Right? The same can be said about our own lives. What, is, what change took place the moment you decided to trust Christ? What is different about you now after following Jesus for a year, a decade, 50 years, that is different from before? See, that's the question at the heart of the testimony. How has Jesus impacted and changed your life? In 2 Corinthians 3.19, uh, it says that we are being transformed into the image of God through the Spirit. And the word transformed in that passage is actually the word that we get metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis isn't just a, a, a surface level change. It's a, it's a transformation. It's a change from the inside out. It's the word we, des- we use to describe the change that takes place when a caterpillar becomes a, butter- a butterfly. Right? That's what God does for us in Christ. He transforms us. We are no longer the same. We are new creations. 
And so as we think about how we share our testimony, we share our story with the others, with other people, we can think about how God has changed us from the inside out and what difference that's made in our lives. Our testimony can be shared through both words and action. Notice the woman, she spoke, right? She shared what Jesus did for her, but she also demonstrated the power of the gospel through her actions. As I already highlighted, the woman who was unwilling to go to the well with the other women in town now rushed back in order to share the good news with them. Something must have changed in her life. In First Peter, and so we can, de- we can demonstrate the gospel, we can share the good news through both words and actions. In First Peter 3, uh, 15 and 16, Peter writes, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready. Always be prepared to share about the hope that you have in Christ and do so with gentleness and respect. What an important uh, passage as we think about how to share our story with others. Be prepared to tell people about Jesus and do it in a way that is, that is, that is loving and kind and not in a way that, that will draw, that'll drive a wedge between you and another person. See, people need to hear the gospel testimony. They need to hear the message. In Romans 10, it says that, that, that we, it, is, it is through the hearing of the gospel, it is through the proclamation of the gospel that we, that we are saved. And people can't believe unless they hear it. People can't hear it unless someone is sent to preach, right? But it's not just about preaching. It's not just about someone standing in a pulpit and preaching the message. That's certainly a part of it, but it's also the message of a, of, of a testimony. It's also the, the message of a life lived for Christ and words spoken over coffee, a cup of coffee at a coffee shop, right? That is also a proclamation of the gospel. We're called to be witnesses. A witness simply shares what they've seen and what they've heard. Witnesses aren't experts in an area. They just say what, they've been, what they have experienced for themselves. So the question for you this morning as well is not just how has God changed your life and how can you share that with others, but who is God calling you to share the gospel with? For Jesus, it was a one-on-one conversation with a person that he was least expected to talk to. For the woman, it was the people in her hometown, the people that she saw every day. So who is God calling you to share your story with? Who is God calling you to be a witness for? In Greek, the word for witness is where we get the word martyr. Sometimes sharing the good news will cost you something. Maybe it's social status at work or school. Maybe the cost is relational with family and friends. There are some places in the world where the cost is physical persecution and imprisonment. Being a witness will cost you something. The question you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Christ with another person worth whatever cost that may bring for you? But the bottom line is we are called to be witnesses no matter what the consequence of it may be. We may not always see the result of our testimony or may not see the result of our testimony either, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. I read once that an unbeliever takes an average of 30 positive interactions with, uh, excuse me, an unbeliever takes an average of 30 positive interactions with the gospel before they make a commitment to Christ. 
You may be their first interaction. You may be number 29 or maybe you have the blessing to be number 30 for someone. You just don't know. And you may not see the result of your effort, but do know that each step is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, reminds us of this reality. It says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each a task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. See, God calls us to play a part in sharing the gospel with other people. You may never see the impact that you have in someone's life, because ultimately it's not up to us to save any, anyone. God is the one who does that through His Spirit, through Christ's blood shed on the cross. But yet He calls each one of us, He calls us to share that good news so that through you, through your story, God can have an impact and can bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to just encourage you with one more, one more part of this story. And that is to, I want to encourage you to invest your time as well as your testimony in people. You're right, nobody wants to be the victim of a, of a hit, and run gospel, or hit and run preaching. Right? Nobody wants to be someone who just gets thrown, thrown the gospel message at, but then you don't actually invest time in that relationship. Instead, we need to show up. We need to, we need to be there with them through thick and thin. It says here at the end of John chapter 4 that, that Jesus spent two days with his people. He was, they were just passing through, but he was willing to stop and take a detour and spend time with these Samaritan people in order to share the gospel with them. He spent the day opening scriptures with the disciples along the Emmaus Road and after, after his resurrection. Paul once spent over two years preaching in Ephesus in order to establish the church there. See, relationships are the most effective, uh, most effective means of, of evangelism, the most effective way of sharing your story, sharing your testimony with others. And that's because relationships build trust and mutual respect. Relationships earn you the right to be heard. And relationships also provide the context for the gospel to be shared and to be lived out. The fruit or, and the evidence of the, of the gospel can be seen, not just in your words, but also in your actions. So I want to encourage you today. Some of you have probably never thought about sharing your story with others. Some of you may think that your story isn't necessarily worth being shared, but I want to tell you today it is. See, testimonies and, and, and sharing stories isn't just about your Damascus Road experiences, those come to Jesus moments that we've all read and heard, but it's also about the faithful Christian who's been serving God faithfully for decades and how God has worked in and through that to, to bless them and make an impact in their lives. So people who were born and raised in the church that knew no different for most of their lives, but came to the realization of, of making their faith their own. You know, we all have, we all come to Christ. We all come to Jesus through different paths, some more dramatic than others, but all stories are important and all 
need to be shared because because you never know who's going to relate to that story. You never know what kind of impact you can have on someone because because the powerful thing about stories is as you share them, you can think, oh, me too, right? I understand that. I can relate to that. And that's where those connections can be formed and the truth of the gospel can really shine through. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you have made eternal life available through him and you give us the privilege to now share that gospel with others. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And I pray that you give us courage and boldness to share that gospel with others. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. This time, as we close out our service, I invite you to stand with us and sing number 275. Let's sing the first verse of How Firm a Foundation. Verse number one. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.